Okay, guys. Well, this week we've got another Disney movie. Oh, yay! yay! Oh, great. Like Disney's Hercules, a fun-loving, goofy adventure? Oh, is it kind of like Brave, where a young girl learns to fight back against an evil foe? No, it's nothing like either of those movies. We're watching Maleficent. It's a tragic story about a fairy who has her wings violently stolen away from her and how war and conflict creates trauma that we can never shake off. Yay! Hello, fantasy horror fans, and welcome to Scares and Satire, the spooky podcast where we turn low horror fantasy into high horror art. Mm -hmm. I'm your dungeon manager, Jamie Molkel, here with my terrifying co-hosts. I'm Chelsea Hollowell, a fairy that shits. <laughs> hold on, hold on. I got it. I got it. <laughs> yeah? <laughs> Do tell! A fairy that shits whimsy. <laughs> Very cool. <laughs> I was wondering what the smell was. Oh my god. That that's yeah, I, I can blame it on our cat all I want, but people know. <laughs> You know, I also have to do with shit in my description. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Jack Olander, a local bog frog that flings poo at unsuspecting travelers. <laughs> a lot of uh, fecal matter this week. <laughs> I mean, it has to, that's what fairies are all about, apparently. Uh, I mean, yeah. We, yeah, we both thought of it. What's more mischievous than poop? <laughs> my god puppies uh, <laughs> <laughs> well guys today we have a very special guest joining us in the online studio that's right our friend and patron but most importantly friend mickey hi everyone i am definitely a fairy my hair is even uniform <laughs> mermaid shaded wow i have a barking dogs i'm gonna try that again <laughs> everyone will just be happy to have a dog on the podcast yeah, yeah. i mean you can leave that in if you want but <laughs> um i'm a unicorn mer mermaid colored fair fairy from the land of california very exciting times very pleased nice. to discuss this wonderful film with you awesome Yay. well we're we're really glad to have you here yeah, and i'm excited i'm super excited oh. And at Mickey's request, this week we watched Maleficent, a 2014 film directed by Robert Stromberg and written by Linda Wolverton. This film stars Angelina Jolie, and fun fact, if she wasn't going to play the lead, this movie was not going to get made. Wow. <laughs> I did not know that. <laughs> but besides Miss Jolie, it. we also have Ellie Fanning, uh, Charlto Copley, Imelda Smalt, um, I'm sorry, Imelda Staunton, Sam Riley, Juno Temple, and a much larger cast of fairies and other fae folk who helped put this movie together. 
But that's enough about the technical stuff. Before we start talking about all the fun bits of this movie, I think Chelsea has a professional and well-planned synopsis ready to go. That's right. <laughs> Here's your summary for Maleficent. So this is a movie that is basically a revenge plot disguised as a heartwarming mother-daughter drama piece, coming-of-age story. That sounds about right. Or maybe right. it's the other way around, you know, <laughs> depending on your opinion. But um, in this movie, we get to see Maleficent's origins, and she started out as a happy-go-lucky fairy child in the fae realm which was uh, its own kingdom, so to speak, um, adjacent to the human kingdom run by a greedy king full of discontents. Presumably it was a kingdom with hearts. <laughs> Somewhere in the kingdom. Yeah. Oh, yes. Um, so she, Maleficent, we get to see, has eagle wings and these amazing, like, ram's horns. And it's she's, a good look. And uh, her homeland is called the Moors, and she's its protector. She also has healing powers, which is really interesting. Good um, set of skills for a D&D character, not going to lie. Yeah. So she's a fierce protector of her homeland. She's a... Also good for a D&D character. <laughs> she's a healer and a warrior, but more of the defender type. She doesn't want to get into a conflict unless... She feels compelled to defend her homeland or its people. And she, as a girl, she meets this young boy named Stefan, who's caught stealing Boo. a stone. Yes. They become fast friends and kind of grow up together a little bit, but then it seems like he forgets about her. About a decade passes. Yeah, he's just like, you know, I mean, the fairy world is cool and like flying people and like magical animals. But have you seen Castle Life? Mwah. Basically. <laughs> Where everybody has shit all over them. <laughs> That's the life for me. I, I don't. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Forget this fairy realm stuff. I'd much rather be on the moors. Um, Let me wait. live where everyone's got the plague. <laughs> Yeah. Wait, the humans have shit all over the place also? Wow. <laughs> We're not so different, you and I, she says to him. So the fairy kingdom is described basically as an egalitarian utopia. There's no kings or queens normally. Then one day, after Maleficent it grows into adulthood, truly her powers are truly tested when... The king and his men try to take over the Moors because the king can't stand that there's a growing power there. And typical king. He rides up to the boundaries between their two lands, and Maleficent goes to meet them out there. And she tells them to ride back, and he insults her. Not a good idea. Yeah. She kicks the ass off of his army. Yeah. Almost by herself, but I mean, she calls in some of her friends to come help. They're kind of like... Ents? Ent demons, almost. But they're they're like good demons. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we know, because they're made of trees. Yeah. Um, so they're fighting back. 
some of the troops while she is just pushing people back with the force of her wings and flying through the armies to get to the king. And she knocks him down, disrespecting him. But uh, then he's somehow able to get away. Uh, kind of forget how that happens. I think she just kind of is like, I'm not going to murder this guy. <laughs> like, that would be a bridge too far. Yeah, she pretty much lets them go once he's like, once she figures out that he's not getting up anymore. She's like, okay, yeah. I'm done here. Y'all can go. <laughs> yep. And the king is enraged by this loss of face and to a female no less uh this movie is very unsubtle about its themes yes it's fine so he well he wants somebody to go after her he he offers his daughter as a consolation prize gross yeah extra gross uh, <laughs> <laughs> for any man that's willing to go uh basically bring him the head of maleficent and um, Stefan kind of slinks away because he knows that he has an in with his old childhood friend. And, you know, he's a human, so he's super corruptible, according to this story. Uh, prob and probably reality. And uh, <laughs> he makes his way to the moors. He finds Maleficent, kind of apologizes for staying away so long. She forgives him for his folly and ambition and they kind of become fast friends again and seemingly he, yes but after they've been hanging out for a while it seems like he drugs her and she falls asleep and when she wakes up her wings are missing because stefan took them with an iron chain it was like a saw. It's like a. It's like a. a because a he had learned. It's you, a saw. Okay. A chain because is he also had, a saw. Chainsaw. <laughs> not, not a not a chainsaw, but a saw chain. He had learned years earlier that cold iron hurts fairies, and so he used this knowledge against his past friend. And it's a terrible moment when she wakes up and realizes that she's been mutilated and is screaming in terror. And you can kind of understand what's. Why? What's gonna come next happens. <laughs> yeah, mm -hmm. and so um, it's a for an instigating incident. It, it uh, it's a good one. Yeah. Um. Oh, another big important thing that I forgot from when they were kids is that he gave her the gift of true love's kiss, and uh, by this point, after she was so cruelly betrayed and mutilated, she believes there's no such thing as true love's kiss. That um, probably won't come back. <laughs> Real Chekhov's kiss scenario. <laughs> so she was cruelly wounded in this way and spent some time recuperating and healing up and kind of rebuilding her powers and learning how to live without her wings. And in the meantime, Stefan had returned back to the human kingdom, uh, brought her wings back as proof that he killed Maleficent. The king made him the heir and, and he married the king's daughter. And uh, they had a child together and named her Aurora. So This is where the movie basically becomes a retelling of Sleeping Beauty from a different perspective. Exactly. We had a little bit of backstory we got a sneak peek of and then... Yeah, we get this uh, kind of retelling. So on Aurora's christening day, 
people, nobles from all over the lands are invited to bestow gifts upon the prince, new princess and, and give her their blessing. And three fairies come as well as a token of goodwill. And they also bestow blessings upon the child. But the third one doesn't get a chance to complete her blessing because Maleficent strides into the room and has this amazing entrance. I was I was eating it up. <laughs> it's so was Angelina Jolie. <laughs> yeah, she was chewing up a lot of uh, scenery. She took revenge on Stefan for his betrayal and cruel maiming of her. <laughs> uh and took it out on his child, so we'll get into that later. But um, she basically put a curse on Aurora that on her 16th birthday, she would prick her finger on a spinning wheel and die. Not die so much as oh, fall yes, into right. a never-ending sleep, which one cannot be awakened from. Except by true love's kiss. Which Maleficent doesn't believe exists. So she basically thinks she's consigning Aurora to a never-ending sleep. Now, Something is this, like death. Is this what we call a mostly dead scenario? Probably, although it doesn't work the same as in Princess Bride. <laughs> okay, well. <laughs> so let's let's uh, kind of steamroll through this next part a little bit. Um, Fairy godmothers, yada yada, 16-year-old <laughs> Aurora. <laughs> Um, well, not quite that much. <laughs> um, so the king orders all of the spinning wheels in the land destroyed and sends Aurora... Classic king move. Sends Aurora away with the three fairies that had bestowed blessings on her and she they would be her surrogate parents and she would grow up in the woods with them, hopefully away from any dangers to try to find a loophole around the curse. And um, it turns out three fairies aren't very good at taking care of a human child. Um, Who would have thunk? I mean. There are many. <laughs> we get to see Aurora growing up a bit and all the times that she would have probably died through horrible accidents if Maleficent hadn't been there the whole time playing pranks on the other fairies and also looking after Aurora and basically falling in love with her the whole time. Uh, but she she wasn't aware of this uh, turn of events until much later. <laughs> so when Aurora is almost 16, she ends up coming across Maleficent uh, during a skirmish with some of the king's soldiers. And that Stefan is now the king, by the way, if you remember. Boo, yes. <laughs> and um, she takes Aurora, after the battle, she takes Aurora to the fairy realm and introduces her to some of the other fairies there. And Aurora recognizes her. She remembers her from her childhood and says, you're my fairy godmother. Your your shadow is always with me. And Maleficent is like, what the fuck are you talking about, kid? <laughs> She just seems kind of taken aback, like, oh, I didn't think you'd actually remember that. <laughs> Kids have good memories, I think. And she is immediately drawn to Maleficent, and it's this amazing moment that where Aurora, this sunny girl, is drawn to this woman that's like a goth dream. <laughs> and um, I really love the dichotomy of their relationship. 
Um, Just two peas in a very confused pod. And so they lived together there for an indeterminate amount of time. And uh, you say more than a day and less than three years. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Aurora finds out, though, that uh, Maleficent cursed her. This is some time after Maleficent tried to lift the curse because she realized she loved Aurora at this point. Uh, but she it had put it, a caveat in the curse that no power in the world could uh, lift it, which she didn't realize included herself. She had, like, prepared for any kind of monkey paw shenanigans, and she actually monkey pawed herself while trying to avoid the monkey's paw. Exactly. So... She seems to have been on a redemption path. We can get into more of this later, but her relationship with Aurora seems to have set her on the path to healing. And um, they have a, sh a short rift when Aurora finds out that Maleficent cursed her. And Aurora goes off to the castle when she finds out that she's actually the king's daughter. You know how teenagers are when they find out that you've cursed them to die a horrible death. Like, they don't take it very well at first, but they get over it. And she seems like she's put under a spell when she's there because the curse is starting to take effect. She's turning 16. And she seems almost compelled to go down into the dungeons where all the spinning wheels are. And one manifests itself there and she pricks her finger on it because there's no getting out of a curse. Apparently. Right. And uh, she falls it's, into this It's deep... fairy tale law. Exactly. And she falls into this deep sleep. The three fairies who raised her are kind of bumbling idiots, but they mean well. and uh, Or buffoons, I should say. And um, <laughs> I like the categorization and the specificity. <laughs> <laughs> um, they remember that true love's kiss will awaken Aurora and they believe in this. So they find the prince that Aurora had met in the woods before and um, force him to go into the room and cajole him until he kisses her in a very awkward and... Um, a questionable yes, moment. Not they're, at like, all creepy. Oh. <laughs> they're like, oh, they knew each other for like 15 minutes. That's got to count, right? We're fairies. We don't understand human relationships. He's a prince. She's a princess. They must love each other. So <laughs> they don't understand humans very well. Um, he finally kisses her after all their prompting. He does seem hesitant to his credit. And she um, wakes up happily ever after, right? No, not so much. So he's unable to lift the curse. It's not true love. But he's a male character. Isn't it his job to save the day? <laughs> Meanwhile, Maleficent and her uh, shape-shifting crow friend, Diavol, are hiding in the room. And when the other three fairies go out, Maleficent goes to Aurora's side and is incredibly sad that it didn't work. She was hoping against hope that it might actually work. And she can't help herself. She she feels like she's a mother to Aurora. And so she leans down and kisses her. And she's about to turn away when Aurora wakes up. <gasps> and we find out that true love, the truest love, is between a mother and her daughter or child. Surrogate 
child, I guess. Yeah. Close enough, honestly. The fairies At definitely least... weren't a mom, and her mom was dead anyway. Yes. At least according to the movie. Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see. Then we get the Dark Souls fight at the end. That's right. Between, Maybe uh, you can help me fill in the blanks in this part. I mean, that, that pretty much says it all. Maleficent and Stefan get into a big old knockdown drag out. Uh, very Dark Souls, she, flaming castle and everything. She gets to face her former assailant it's, in combat. Yes, right. it's excellent, excellent. And, um, and she gets to, there's a dragon too. I mean, this is, it's fabulous. She turns Diaval into a dragon and he roasts the crap out of those soldiers bearing giant <laughs> iron shields. And there's an absolute ton of iron just, you know, waiting for her in this whole fight. Um, so yeah, they have the final confrontation out on the parapet. Um, Maleficent uh, basically has Stefan dead to rights. She decides to show him mercy. She turns her back and he bum rushes her, knocking them both off of. Oh, you know, we forgot about the part where she gets her wings back too. Yeah, you I can thought say you're... it as they're falling. I, <laughs> yeah. I thought you were leading up to that. I didn't realize sure. you forgot it. Uh, Bum rushes her from behind, knocking them both off of the tower. But what he hasn't considered is that Aurora released Maleficent's wings from the prison that Stefan had them stored in. And she has the power of flight again. So as they're falling, she basically just schleffs off Stefan and can't save him. He falls to his death. She's a-okay. Uh, Maleficent and Aurora are just like, well, that guy with a pretty big dick, right? And Aurora's like, yeah, I guess so. My dad was kind of a douche. He was never really my dad anyways. And you're more like my mom. So, lol, everything's fine. They return to the Moors. Maleficent relinquishes her power and they unite the kingdoms under Aurora's rule, and they kind of live like a family, I'm assuming. And we find out that the narrator, and of course is the narrator, because this is a fantasy movie, was actually Aurora all along. Yes. The end. <clears throat> but now that we've got that covered, why don't we head into The Delve? Welcome to the Delve, where we venture deep into the themes, scenes, and lore for Maleficent. And Mickey, since you're our special guest who requested this movie, I figure we will give the floor to you to uh, decide where we're going to start with this very dense and cool movie. Well, um, I would say starting at the beginning, um, I mean, the very first scene is probably my favorite with Maleficent resting in a tree branch and watching her spinning puppets just kind of a gentle quiet child fairy and you know the branch breaks above her she goes and fixes it and tells the tree that the tree's all better and it's just like <laughs> I love it's that just part. the sweetest thing ever and so you know it basically it's like well that's like my childhood when i was a fairy yada 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 you know and that's how that's how i feel about it and just kind of watching you know her little friendship with stefan and everything that she goes through in the moors there growing up um 
just watching her character grow. Like when you watch Sleeping Beauty, you know, eight hundred times with your cousin, because um, she was like we all did, like we all did, <laughs> and you see the evil queen, you're like, meh, evil queen. But when you watch this, it's uh, it's great and it's beautiful, and it's this really different story, which I appreciate very deeply. Yeah, I mean, I am a big fan of the kind of inverted fairy tale tradition where we kind of see these new perspectives, where we take characters who are traditionally maligned and we get a more complex backstory. Yeah, the rest of the story. Yeah, and explains like, oh, actually, like a lot of people in history have been called evil. But the reality is sometimes when everything is written by the people who win, Things get changed. Absolutely. Um, you know, so, yeah, I, you know, Stefan and Maleficent, their friendship, it's like, it starts out very pretty. Um, but it's, I mean, I was very upset and also entirely predictable that he goes over to the human side of things and doesn't <laughs> somehow get to be a more awesome man. Instead, he's just a normal man, um, a, you know, representative of the patriarchy as it is. Yeah. As he grows up, he seems to completely put away ch childish things Absolutely. and kind of abandons his friendship with her because he kind of focuses on his ambitions of trying to live in the castle one day and uh yeah it looks like he's like a housekeeper in the castle he's like shining stuff and giving the king things like he's not a big deal in the castle he just happens to know maleficent and yeah he ironically he kind of has a reverse cinderella story going right? from a a simple cleaning boy to a king. And he's so, it also kind of speaks to his insecurity because he doesn't see his relationship with Maleficent as being special. He only sees this one way to success and is following that relentlessly without thinking outside of the box, really. Yeah, I think you're kind of touching on a subject that I was going to bring up at some point, the popular theme of, uh, you know, mankind versus nature. Oh, classic. Right? And I think it kind of manifested itself in this film, kind of in a Tolkien-esque fashion. Okay. Where humans are categorized by their ambition. It's constantly showing how, you know, the previous king is totally fine with just overthrowing all the fairies that live in the moor because they want to expand. And later we see Stefan doing the same thing, but it's kind of out of a sort of revenge for something that never happened. It seemed like he was spiteful against Maleficent just because he couldn't bring himself to kill her when she did nothing wrong. Yeah, I, I think you're right. Strong agree on that one. And then when he finally did do something wrong, he was like, oh, she probably hates me. I'd better kill her. Yeah, it does seem like it's one of those situations where somebody cuts you off in traffic and you maybe honk at them and then they flip out and start like flipping the middle finger and like honking back and everything. It's like, dude, you fucked this up. This is all on you. Mm -hmm. It's the foolish pride of this like aggressive society that Stefan comes from 
where I mean, obviously, the the original king is a sociopath who only cares for his own whims and thinks that he is basically unto a god. Definitely. And there was one more thing I wanted to touch on. I really liked Chelsea's phrasing when you said that he kind of turned away from more childish things. I think the movie definitely did categorize his friendship with the fairies as something that was only, you know, available to him because he was a kid at the time. And they were both children and they didn't really get the politics between their kingdoms yet. Right. Yes. Or their kingdom and, you know, egalitarian utopia. Right. right totally. <laughs> Right, not the a communist yet. heaven that Maleficent lives in, yeah. juxtaposed with the capitalist hell of Stefan's kingdom. Uh, mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Their conflicts touch on those big themes of capitalism versus socialism and the patriarchy versus feminine power, and Absolutely. that really comes to a head as they grow older and grow apart. Yeah, it's like as a child, Stefan is pretty much an innocent. Uh, you know, kid who is just happy to make a friend and is kind of apologetic when he makes a mistake. Like, he doesn't really know why it was stealing to take the the stone that he took. But, you know, Maleficent explains that it's part of nature, like it's supposed to be in nature. And he's kind of like, oh, sorry, like, I didn't know. Like, I'm just a kid, so that's okay. And then later on, it's really juxtaposed with how, like, becoming an adult gives him this greedy insatiable drive that that like kind of infects his relationships with everybody around him definitely yes yeah it also drives him insane later <laughs> no yeah you're absolutely right i mean yeah that it essentially drives him insane later on in the movie so it's a, it's a big deal yeah mm -hmm. to speak to the thing about him going insane i think a scene that uh encapsulates that pretty well I can think of two. There's one where his wife is sick and the guards come in and they're like, hey, she's not going to make it through the night and she really wants to see you. And he's having a conversation with someone you can't see in the room. And he's like, can't you see we're talking? Leave us alone. And the guard leaves and it, he's talking to Maleficent's wing. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, that's one of the, that was a scene where like, I think, I thought I couldn't hate him more, and then, I, <laughs> yeah. and then I hated him more. And I was like, oh, look at me being so capable of hate. Gosh. Yeah. <laughs> hate uh, finds a way. Yeah, really hate. Hate the patriarchy. Yeah. Hate toxic masculinity and the patriarchy. Those are bad. <laughs> I, and you brought up her wings, which are uh, a major symbol in the movie. And I know that Mickey had a lot to say about that. Do you want to go into that now, Mickey? Absolutely. So, you know, in many ways, I feel like this movie represents how folks born into female bodies kind of go through their life. Like, you're innocent. Everything's really great. And then the patriarchy just kind of assaults you in some fashion. And suddenly you're having to grow up really too fast and it's almost too much like a story told to a girl to teach her. It's like, hey, you know, life's going to suck after the patriarchy gets you. And, um, yeah, you know, her wings are this deep, beautiful symbol of power and also kind of innocence. Um, 
Hmm. You know, the what she says about her wings. So Aurora asks her, how come you don't fly? And Maleficent says, I could fly once I had wings. And they were, they were big, they were, you know, strong, and they could carry me above the clouds and into the headwinds, and they never faltered, not even once. I could trust them. And she turns away at that, at that moment, she's done talking, and Aurora's kind of left like, whoa. And that, <laughs> to me, is one of the most beautiful lines in the entire film, hands I down. I know, it really stood out, yeah. It absolutely resonates, and I mean, you know, I was thinking about that a little bit more today and I, I was imagining like I wonder if that's how people feel like they remember how they used to be before the patriarchy smacked them down or whatever like some kind of trauma like you remember yourself before whatever trauma you had and you kind of can feel like oh past me those bits and pieces of my soul that got struck down man those bits and pieces were really cool Man, I miss those, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and I, I think about that. It's a really well-done piece. And I, you know, I think that because the screenplay was written by a woman, I, I mean, I wonder, you know, how much of that woman's history made it into here. Like, right. yeah. those choices around, um, around the dialogue and around some of the... Um, some of Well, honestly, I, I do think that Maleficent herself, like Angelina Jolie, I think she made the choices to play the loss of her wings in that. I mean, it was incredibly powerful, but I think that yeah. her choices to make that, I don't know what, it was like a, a disbelief and the intensity of disbelief, pain, um, shock, like all of those things, like just the wave of emotions coming off of her and how she moves afterwards. And you can see like it's fundamental, deep, intense trauma. And yeah, you know, like I can't, like I can barely watch that scene. Like I watched it once yeah. and I was like, okay guys, um, you know, like got something in my eye here, you know, <laughs> pause, pause that, gotta go find some clean accents, you know, like it, it's a lot for me to watch. Yeah, it's hard to watch. I mean, she is like, I mean, obviously would be one would be in in the literal sense, one would be in tremendous pain having oh, a vestigial yeah. limbs removed from your body. But like she's like hunched over and she like summons a staff to walk with like somebody who has this like you know crippling injury at this point yeah. like she is physically altered and it translates into you know both the thematic and the literal elements of the character and the film yes yeah she's lost literally a part of her physical body but it's also a part of her identity she heavily identified her personal uh confidence and power with her wings and they were freedom Absolutely. Yeah. They they were they were love and freedom and joy and all these other feelings that she had living in this fey realm. It was the way she connected with the world around her. Yeah, and I mean, and yeah, it's it's like removing the sky from her world. Yeah, and you know, it's interesting. It's like that's a great point because after that happens, she begins to change the landscape, and everything gets darker, and all the trees are more twisted and like 
gothic and, <laughs> yeah. and they look like they're from a Dark Souls game to just keep going back to the imagery here because it just is good shorthand for me. But like and everything is just creepier and more sinister. And she kind of starts taking on some of these revenge and vengeance feelings for a while. Yeah, yeah. And that's when she curses Aurora. But right. like her truer self is still in there as we see later on as her develop as she develops a relationship with Aurora. And I just want to say real quick that that's when she rises to power in the Moors and assumes power yeah. where before there was no queen. Right, she makes herself that throne and sits upon it, you know. And at this point she still has her hair uncovered and you can still see her ears. Um I, I find the, the hair and ears choice is very, very interesting. Um, yeah. You know, and I, I don't know if they cut her hair or like if it was like an extra, uh, like extra out of the film thing where Angelina Jolie herself changed her hair and they could no longer use her real hair or maybe the whole thing was a wig. I don't know. Um, but the. Yeah, I think it's reminiscent of the of the original character. Right. If I, I could be wrong. She seems to be wearing like a, the, the cartoon Maleficent seems to have like a skull cap with the horns and everything. Right. Right. Yeah. And yeah. so when they, they cover the ears and the hair, um, I guess that's, I guess that's basically, they had to tie it back. So that makes yeah. sense. But yeah, you never see her ears or her hair again, as far as I know. Right. Yeah. That specific thing of covering the head I believe they call that a crown at two or three points through the movie. Just the sort of scaled headdresses she wears over her horns. I think she calls it her crown. Huh. Also, tying it back to this kind of mockery of the royalty and, and the system that hurt her, she is taking on parts of it, like some of the words and terminology of that system. Definitely. And I wanted to talk about how she takes power after her wings are cut off, you know, she was betrayed by her childhood friend, the person in her life that kind of represents the good of what humanity can be. And when she made herself vulnerable to him, that's when he took advantage of her and cut her wings off. So in response, she put up a literal wall, <laughs> you know, in figurative ones with the huge wall of thorns. Mm -hmm that keeps people out and as a way to kind of feel like she has power she took control of the moors like you said she oh man made herself yeah. a monarch that is such a good point because she was made to feel so powerless she went and made a big power grab of her own really cool mm -hmm. right yes that's that's her kind of like taking on the system that that hurt her in a way she is like beginning to change the the utopia she lives in to resemble more of the monarchy of humans because she sees where violence and strength like that might be necessary to protect her. But, you know, for a while misses out on what is lost in that, which is this capacity for love that the wings really represent in the movie, as well as, you know, many other things, but like, it's losing her belief in true love is when she loses her wings. And then when the wings come back, that is when she's realized through Aurora that true love is actually something that can be attained. Definitely. Also, an interesting scene, I think, is one where 
Aurora sees her for the first time as a kid who can actually kind of cognizantly understand what's going on. Because Maleficent appears to Aurora when she's a baby in the cradle just to kind of tell her, like, hey, you're stuck with me, basically, right? Mm-hmm. Right. But Aurora is too young at that point to, you know, register what's going on. But the first time Aurora is kind of old enough to recognize what's happening is when she's, I think, around six years old. She comes across Maleficent in the wood healing some trees. Right. Which we only saw her doing in the very beginning of the film when she was young and innocent. So we still see that she has the capacity for healing inside of her. Yes. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It also makes sense why Aurora thinks she's this good, benevolent being because she sees her restoring the forest Mm -hmm. the first time they meet. Right. Yeah. So a reason to trust her, basically, in the future. Right. Yeah, and then years in the future, yeah, exactly. She's like, hey, you're my fairy godmother. You keep the forest healthy. I'm like, oh, perfect. (laughs) (laughs) Yep, that's her. And I love that the first time since she was traumatized and betrayed, she and that she's watching over Aurora, she actually starts to smile and laugh again. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. And we see it's these after subtle that that she starts to heal things again, like you're saying, Jack. Yeah. So mm-hmm. you can kind of see that she Aurora is changing her. This love is helping to heal her, like I mentioned in the summary. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so I, I think about it and I was thinking about the words, like the specific wordage in the curse. Um, she says, like, she places another enchantment upon those who encounter Aurora that she will be right. beloved by all who meet her, and that includes Maleficent, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's really good. She did monkey's paw herself. <laughs> she scooped herself into that. It's amazing. Yeah. And so, like, the moment she meets her, the you know, when she's a tiny baby, and then, like, when, like, baby Aurora toddler toddles up to her and hugs her legs, and Maleficent's like, get away. I don't like children. And I'm like, you know, that's her actual daughter, too, right? So it was really... No, I didn't! It is. Yes, it's a Vivienne Jolie Pitt. Yeah. Oh, that's cute. That's I know, amazing. super adorable. So, like, they knew the little one would go hug mommy, you know. I know, and it's also, (laughs) with what you're saying, it's also really funny to hear Angelina Jolie saying that. I know, right? Yeah. yeah. (laughs) I I, I think it's funny when she's, like, looking in the window, she's like, you're very ugly. Like, just so half-heartedly trying to insult this baby. And and she's just giving her the sunniest smile you've ever seen. Yeah. The baby is. Oh, my goodness. It's like this precocious child. Huge baby. It nearly murdered me that the fairies were such idiots about the baby you guys i mean as a person who has taken care of two babies wow 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 that was a lot yeah i know it was really hard to watch i was like i want to climb into the movie and intervene well that's okay that diaval was there to help feed the child yes absolutely it's very helpful maleficent sends raven boy Yeah. yeah I really loved Diaval's like initial thing. Like he's like he's like, what the f? I don't, I don't. I'm a person. Like, come on, you know. <laughs> yeah, why are you doing this to me? I'm a bird. I'm like the perfect creature. And then he apologizes, like, oh, okay, I guess I'll be your servant forever. And I'm just like, really, buddy? Really? <laughs> I know. Hey, Diaval, he's just vibing. He just goes with the flow. <laughs> yeah, man. 
he seems to really love Aurora too and yes. feels kind of paternalistic or maybe like an older brother to her. I think he's like a cool uncle. Yeah, uh, uncle, I felt yeah, it was a yeah. bit of a misdirect in, in a way to be like, is he going to be the true love guy? Like, hmm. Oh, I had oh, a yeah. moment of that, like, oh, huh. But, you know, I realized it was going to be Maleficent. Um, I think when the godmother what like that moment when she was like you're my fairy godmother and i'm like oh girl (laughs) (laughs) so yeah that was so great it totally was (laughs) guys before we talk too much more about the movie i think we should head to the bounty board You lay upon a bed of grass, your wings enfolding you like a warm blanket, the horns on your head glistening in the sunlight. As you stand up and wipe the sleep from your eyes, you look down into a nearby brook, and in the gentle waters, letters begin to form. They read, Bounties? This week, Swords and Satire is sponsored in part by Audible, the leading provider of audiobooks and spoken word entertainment. Now, I gotta tell you, Audible isn't just some company we know nothing about who wants us to show their products. Nope, all three of the satirists have been using Audible since before we even started Swords and Satire. At this point, I've got a pretty impressive collection of audiobooks that I love, and I'm always looking forward to getting my monthly Audible credits because I know I'm going to get something new to enjoy while I'm driving, working around the house, or just staring into the void waiting for Crom to call me to his great mountain. And if you head over to audible.com swords and begin your free 30-day trial, you can help fund this show and start your own audiobook collection, which might even eventually rival the stores of knowledge from the Great Library of Alexandria. Sorry, too soon? Now, since it's the spooky season, and you are definitely a film buff, since you listen to this show, you could check out Shock Value by Jason Zinneman. It's about how some of the greatest horror movies of the 1970s were made, and the influence they've had on filmmaking and our culture. Chelsea and I listened to Shock Value together and learned so much about visionary directors like John Carpenter, Wes Craven, and Brian De Palma, and it inspired us to go back and start re-watching classic horror movies like Halloween and Alien. But Audible isn't just a great source of audiobooks. Oh no. They have podcasts, like ours, comedy, original content, and more. There's something on Audible for everybody. It's also super convenient. You can download titles to your device so you can listen offline, which is really good for me because I'm often listening while working in the yard and my Wi-Fi sucks. And you can also listen across multiple devices without losing your place, which is also helpful for me because I have a bunch of different places I listen to Audible from. Are you convinced yet? I know you are. So head over to audibletrial.com swords right now to start your free 30-day trial Get a credit for a free audiobook of your choice that you get to keep even if you cancel your membership. Not that you're going to want to. You'll also get an exclusive wellness guide and an email reminder before your trial ends. And after that, it's just $14.95 a month, and you get a credit for an audiobook every month. 
When you sign up for your free trial, you also help us keep the torches lit at Castle Satire. So once again, that's audibletrial.com slash swords. And now, back to the episode. So, so I, oh, just real quick, I went back to my notes, and I did write down that at the end, after everything's been reconciled, Maleficent does remove her crown, her head covering and everything, like, as part of going back to the forest and, and returning with Aurora after mending the trouble between their kingdoms. Oh, dang. See, I was heading through my second watch through, and I did not get to there yet. It's like she brings down the wall, wall of thorns, you know, the literal wall that divided their people, and then removes this headdress. Because I think, again, like, it represents this other world that she really doesn't have any appreciation for, but she was co-opting it to gain back some of her power because of the way she'd been hurt. As a way to fight back and reclaim power. Right on. But once her rings are... What rings? Her wings are restored to her... She's made whole again, and it's through the power of love. Right. And yes. and the help of... And Aurora's the one some, who gets them back. Yeah, and it, the help, it's basically through strong and positive female relationships um, or feminine power that this is restored to her. And I really love that. And, and the, the love between a parent and child. I think I liked that they highlighted that. I was I was cheering when it was her kiss that uh, awakened Aurora again. It was a sweet <laughs> twist. Totally, it's great. I mean, the you know, one of the things that I was curious about is like you know what is true love? You know, in many ways, Maleficent's love was really selfless, and it took a lot of risks because you know here she was uh, trying to hide from the three idiot fairies and kind of hide from Aurora, but still, like, trying to make sure that... And, I mean, really, oh, dude, was it... I mean, in many ways, it seems like she was trying to keep Aurora alive so that she would make the curse happen, and then, you know, some percentage of the way through that, instead, Maleficent does it because she loves her. Right. Yeah, I, I think yeah. that that could very well be like she goes in with this one intention, but fate conspires against her and, and actually makes her love the child that she that represented to her like part of her betrayal. But I think she also realizes that Aurora had nothing to do with it. She's as much a victim of her father's machinations right. as anybody right. else. She's actually an innocent. Because she's never even, she doesn't even know him because Stefan sent her away when she was an infant. Yep. Absolutely. Because he was so obsessed with protecting her that he actually basically throws her away. She's practically already a member of the Fae folk. She's raised by three fairies who are disguised, but still, right. they're not going to raise her the same way humans would. And so she's not going to raise her like well at all. Uncorrupt. <laughs> yes. She's almost uncorrupted by human, the human tropes. That's of a fantasy. really solid point. Yeah. She absolutely is missing. She doesn't have the indoctrination of the patriarchy. She's not surrounded by toxic masculinity. She doesn't have any of those things. Like I feel really bad for her mom. 
you know she was just given away as prize like there's no autonomy in that yeah her mom was a victim too i mean she just had her child taken away from her yeah yeah i know and you don't really get to see much of her after that. I think you see her once in the whole yeah, movie. Yeah, I just she's kind of one of these characters who is, you know, I, I I think intentionally relegated to this kind of side character, not because the writers were trying to dismiss her role, but because they're kind of building on this tradition from a lot of these old fairy tales and like the stories that became Disney movies where the mothers don't exist Yes, throughout the entire tale. The only mothers you get are like cruel stepmothers and stuff. So I'm loving the overall message that we're hitting on here in this movie that, you know, they don't vilify the victim. They humanize her. Yeah. Even though she's a fairy. <laughs> they oh, they give us a way to relate to Maleficent and show her humanity uh, in it, putting it in terms we can understand. Um, <laughs> and um, sorry, I lost my train of thought. I had a good point. <laughs> well, I liked where you were going with that. Showing, yeah, they were showing how Maleficent has love and has caring and is caring of other beings right so in our in typical stories you might paint somebody a character like her as the villain and as she traditionally was in the disney film (laughs) and and somebody to be hated and rooted against and here we are rooting for her and she's actually the hero of the story and i love the way they turned those typical i would argue patriarchal tropes about women um on their heads totally absolutely there we go i got there eventually yeah. <laughs> nice no, well, well, well i also like how you know she she's a character who goes through a redemption arc she yes. makes you know you could say a mistake in cursing aurora who's a child who's done nothing but she's angry but it is something that seems like it can never be taken back. Like oftentimes if we make a mistake and we hurt somebody in some way, sometimes it feels like you can't take that back, but you can often apologize. And a lot of times how bad it is, is worse in your mind than in the mind of the person that you feel like you hurt. Obviously this story is blowing up to, death curses and magical fey realms and everything but it can also just be a stand-in for our resistance to saying i'm sorry and how effective it can really be to genuinely apologize for something and mending those relationships exactly yeah if a conflict you have caused involves death curses and fey realms please email us at swords and satire (laughs) At gmail.com. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, my goodness. I thought you were about to say some kind of rhyme that you thought up on this spot. I did, too. <laughs> I was waiting no, for I it really want to hear about if it. If a death curse you have cast 
the victim you must kiss their ass <laughs> i don't know that's a good one I, I appreciate that i mean i i honestly like i did feel like maleficent was like trying to apologize so hard like she gets philip she floats him all the way into the castle dumps him yeah. in front of the other fairies and was like you know yeah make it happen uh, you know? like, <laughs> do the thing no, with the guy i understand how love works you know <laughs> Yeah, I'm cold and mean. And they don't. I love that in the summer. I was like, they super don't understand how love works. They really don't get it. They don't know what love is between humans. Like, they maybe but, understand their own love, but the between humans stuff, meh, mystery. They want to know what love is, but, yeah. <laughs> and they want you to show them. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> hmm. Wait a minute. Which movie did we watch again? <laughs> there was one thing about that scene that I actually really loved. Not the scene where the kiss happens, but her floating him through the castle. I think it's so funny the way she just like, go to sleep now, people. But when she comes into the castle... She sees that the king has put giant iron thorns, just like the thorns that she made, all throughout the castle to keep her away, because he's paranoid about her showing up. There are a few moments in the film of, like, dramatic irony, and that was one of them. She puts up the thorns to keep the humans out. He puts up the same ones made of iron to keep her out. I thought that was so cool. Absolutely, and yeah, when I yeah. when I saw like his whole thing, like waking up the iron workers so they'll go back to the forges and make their stuff, I was like, "Damn, what the hell is he making?" And <laughs> you know, I figured, okay, yeah, weapons, whatever. But the wall of iron thorns, damn, man, you committed. You're, yeah, you're like, dramatic. Like, whoa, you really mean it? Okay. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Yo, this king is crazy. <laughs> another one, another instance of irony I got that I thought was really dramatic was when the two main, you know, characters, Maleficent and the king. Stefan. Stefan. When they were kids, they were playing around together. And one of the things they did was she was flying around while he was holding onto her ankle oh and she's kind of dragging him around. Yes. Right. And then in their final fight, she has her wings back and he's attached to her ankle by some chains and right. she's dragging him around, but in mortal peril. <laughs> I'm like, ah, oh, it's not as fun. It's not as fun as it was. <laughs> it's shit. See, when yeah. you're a jerk to somebody, it's not as fun anymore. <laughs> he thought he was the one. I just also, even though it it was terribly sad and and horrifying, and she was mutilated and traumatized, I I did love the turnabout though. Like right after she transformed and he was king, and he thought he had gotten the upper hand and just was gonna get away with it. And she comes in in her full power. She's radiating magical energy. She's so powerful. He looks scared shitless. And it's yeah. such a great moment to see that look on his face. Totally. He deserved it. Yeah. I mean, well, you know what? if there was anyone who deserved anything. Yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely. <laughs> I also think it's interesting how in the film, Maleficent is pretty fine with being ruthless terrifying menacing you know all this pretty 
pretty harsh stuff. Intense. She's intense. <laughs> she is intense. But in that first battle, she lets the king go. And then when Stefan cuts her wings off and she's going to confront him, when he's had his daughter, she doesn't kill him then. She takes it out on the baby. So I think it's interesting the way she spared a king twice. It's like, in a way, she is vengeful, but not to the point where she's just going to outright murder someone. Maybe it's just because it's a kid's movie. So, yeah, well, yes. Um, The thing that that just reminded me of is in Buffy, Linda Hoffren um, needs to take back a wish of Anya's and instead of taking back the wish outright, he has to, to end the life of vengeance demon. And Anya thinks it's going to be her, um, right. but instead it's her friend, Halfrek. And he says, you go for the pain. And I think that in that moment, Maleficent's trying to go for the pain. She doesn't yeah. want mm. Stefan to die. She wants him to feel the same amount of pain she felt. Right. 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 And does it Perfect. happen? I don't know. I think it does because it's hard to say. It, yeah, it's, it's be- interesting. I mean, he goes in. He's such a selfish douche. And yeah, you don't know. Like, is he capable of feeling things? I'm not sure. Maybe, maybe not. Yeah. And based exactly on what you just said, that reminded me of the second point I was going to mention back when we were talking about how Stefan became unhinged. Mm hmm. The second scene was when they finally bring Aurora back to him a day early when she's 16 years old. Right. And instead of being happy to see her at all, he's pissed off and he ignores her. And he's just like, you brought her back too early. Go lock her up. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, Stefan. And causes her to suffer the curse, basically. She's happy to finally meet her father, she thinks, for the first time. I mean, as far as she can remember. And the last And she's time. hugging him, and he barely reacts, like you're saying, Jack. He's... Yep. Yeah. It's supposed to be that the last 16 years were him trying to save his daughter, but it's more just like him trying to get revenge on Maleficent. And maintain his power because he's so insecure. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Well, yeah. you know what, guys? This seems like the perfect time to move into evil, stupid, or misunderstood. This is evil, stupid, or misunderstood. The part of the podcast where we take a look at the primary antagonist and determine if they were misunderstood or totally evil, or maybe they're just stupid. So, guys, we've talked a lot about Stefan. I'm pretty sure he's just stupid, right? (laughs) And evil. And evil. He's stupid with a dash of evil. I'm down with that. I don't feel like he's misunderstood. I feel like we all really understand the patriarchy and toxic masculinity very, very well. You know? Yes. The true villain here. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm going to have to agree. I think stupid over evil. Just for one major scene that I can think of is the one where he's planning on 
just straight up killing Maleficent when he goes back and pretends to be her friend. Right. He's getting ready, bracing himself to stab her in the back and just kill her outright, but he can't bring himself to do it. So instead he just cuts her limbs off, right? But he did show a bit of, like, humanity right then. And so I'm like, ah, I feel stupid more than evil now. <laughs> Fair. I think, yeah, but I think those two encapsulate him really well. I think for me, evil usually has, like, a, a dash of cunning and, like, scheming and conniving. And he's really just insane and shitty. Like, he he's, a- his intentions are very evil especially as he grows more obsessed with power and ambition but like he doesn't even do it in a good way yeah the best thing he ever did was try to just copy the cleverness of maleficent yeah <laughs> so yeah i think we all agree he's he's stupid with a little bit of evil just like because he's got to have some evil and there's yeah. a lot of damage you can do with stupid so. absolutely stupid can be more <laughs> devastating than evil <laughs> also uh the other villain the other villain hero villain maleficent uh if you don't get the feeling that she's understood then i don't know if you got the movie at all so now why don't we move into our new section of the show good great or terrible This is good, great, or terrible. The part of the podcast where we take a look at the principal protagonist and determine if they were good, or maybe they were great, or possibly terrible? (laughs) You okay, Jack? (laughs) My brain trembles. (laughs) So that's awesome. uh, Okay. I'm on board. I'm down. But I'm going to need some help elaborating the difference between good and great. And if terrible just means that the protagonist blows or if they are a terrible force. Like Conan is just a very intimidating, scary person. <laughs> right. No, no. So so terrible is just a terrible protagonist, as we've had in a few movies, like, say, Dragon Slayer or... Probably the Sorcerer's Apprentice. Oh, uh, yeah, they just blow. Yeah. Good is like driven by uh, driven by good intentions and, and benevolence. And great is like very powerful and and impressive in some way. OK, I can get behind that so they can be great and terrible like Dave from the Sorcerer's Apprentice. Right. Strong but a doof yeah or they can (laughs) be good and great like conan yes yes so are we talking about maleficent here we're talking about maleficent here well as a protagonist i suppose as a hero i think she's definitely great she shows overt grand scale magic she can make curses that she can't undo That's impressive. Are fate bound to be fulfilled? Yeah, I mean, as far as we've seen in the movie, she could be the most powerful being in the entire world. Seems like high on the list. Yeah. Just a god. I mean, now, unless we're uh, sure that the Kingdom Heart 
universe is canon, in which case, obviously, the most powerful entity in the world is Bahamut, the great dragon. Makes sense. Yeah. Maleficent's going to get norted at some point. <laughs> I don't know what it means, but I know. I know. <laughs> anyway, she seems great, in my opinion, just because of how overtly powerful she is. In addition to that, you know, maybe a bit terrible if we're looking from a heroic standpoint, just because throughout the film, she's like, am I a hero? Maybe I'm the villain, but maybe I'm both. <laughs> so just for that villain aspect, I might have to throw terrible in there. Well, I think that we talked about her in both sections and it fits because <laughs> she's described in the movie as a hero villain. Yeah. So I right. think... It fit that we said she was misunderstood as a villain and she's great as a hero. I think that fits. Yeah. Totally. I think yeah, that, that's great. Yeah. That pretty much nails it. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to agree on that great count. And then, you know, she, I think she is inherently good, you know? Yeah. yeah. She just mm -hmm. has a detour. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, and I think an understandable one where she goes through a traumatic experience and has to learn how to process it and cope with it absolutely and has to find herself again with the help of loved ones yeah 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 granted one of the loved ones is a person that she makes out of a crow so <laughs> <laughs> sometimes you have to find love in weird places yeah, right? <laughs> you have to make your own family oh man hey families the ones that you bring together yeah yeah Great. It's all about family. So you're saying that this is like a prequel to the Fast and the Furious movies <laughs> because it's all about family. Now this I can get behind. You know, I mean, this is a prequel to something because there's a sequel to this. It's uh, Maleficent Mistress of Evil, which I am going to see. I'm going to watch it after this. And maybe we'll cover it next year for Scares and Hell Satire. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, well, uh, with that out of the way, why don't we head into the smithy? Welcome to Ye Old Smithy, where we each forge a rating for this movie in one to ten swords after we share an epic moment or feature from the film. And Mickey, as our guest, would you like to begin by telling us your epic moment or feature from the movie and then giving in a rating from one to ten swords? Awesome. Yes, indeed. All right. So my epic moment from the movie is when Aurora is walking up to the cage that Maleficent's wings are in and they start, they're beating against the cage and she realizes that she needs to knock it down and that those wings need to get back to their fairy. That's an intense moment nice. and it's beautiful. And I love that Aurora is the person that brings the wings back. Um, and I mean, man, oh man, I love this movie. It's definitely a 10 out of 10 swords for me. Nice. Awesome. Nice. Jack, how about you? Hmm. I think my epic moment has got to be at the very end, during the montage, the epilogue, when Maleficent relinquishes her power 
Nice. Takes off her crown and deconstructs her throne. I, like I said when we were watching it, I'm a sucker for a leader that can relinquish their power. Because people can be situationally good leaders, like a good military leader, which in this case, that's what she was fulfilling. But, you know, like we were saying, she's kind of an entity that was born good in this egalitarian society, which she was fighting to protect. So it makes sense that when the trouble is gone, she would return it back to the state it was at, the state that she liked it being before and i thought that was just so cool and a sign that she had grown a lot she gets her wings back she finds love again she relinquishes her power it just it it's such a good way to end it and i was really surprised since disney you know normally upholds monarchies in their films <laughs> that they didn't do that yeah anyway i thought that was really cool this movie has so many cool elements to it. It's such an entertaining film. Delve into your heart, Jack. I'm going to give it a 9 out of 10 nice. wizard stabs. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. I didn't because... realize you were allowed to change the item, the implement, because <laughs> I'd give it a 10 out of 10 wings, y'all. Oh, nice. Ooh, nice. I like that. That's good. <laughs> we'll fix it in post. That's all good. <laughs> 10 out of 10. Oh, that's symmetrical wings. Symmetrical yeah, wings. It's it like 20 out number. of 20 wings. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you never want just one odd wing in the middle. No. no. That's just, oh, just, just awkward. <laughs> it's a mess. Yeah. <laughs> you can never have a normal conversation. Everyone's going to be looking at the middle wing. <laughs> they're gonna they're gonna wonder about that. Yeah. What's uh what's up with that? Yeah, I know. It's my dorsal wing. Stop staring at it. <laughs> it's kinda cool that way. There's a plane above the clouds and they see the dorsal wing going through. <laughs> Amazing. Oh yeah. We're in danger. <laughs> <laughs> oh god. Anyway. I love this movie. I think it's really fantastic. It's one that I wouldn't mind probably watching again and again. I don't think I'm ever going to get sick of it. It's really stimulating intellectually. And the only reason I bring it down one is because uh, the pacing was a little weird, kind of in the middle. A lot with the other fairy godmothers mm -hmm. and just sort of the old king and there were a few sections where they were trying to make reference to the original film or bring up some you know of the themes they were trying to push and it was kind of like oh, okay all right i got it already and uh i don't fault the movie for it really more than just one staff it's great i'm looking forward to the sequel a lot nine out of ten nice. way to go kiddo <laughs> right on Chelsea? I've got to call out a scene that I already mentioned, but I it's just so great. I have to call it out here, too. That's when Aurora wakes up in the fairy world and sees Maleficent for the first time in a while when she's 15. And it's this summer child coming face to face with this goth winter queen and 
you'd think normally that she might be afraid of her, and she just gets the biggest, brightest smile on her face, and she instantly sees her as a kindred spirit, a beloved family member, and she doesn't see the differences in their outer appearance. She just knows her for a friend instantly. And that is nice. I really love mm -hmm. that. And um, I think that speaks to the broader messaging of the film, too. One reason why I love this movie so much is the positive messages that, you know, it's your, your friendships and your chosen family that can help get, give you strength, but also help you reclaim your own power and trust in yourself. And that love is a strong force in this world. And it's something that can be trusted when it's put in the hands of the right people. And um, I'm going to give this movie a 10 out of 10 swords, too, because I love that message so much. 20 out of 20 wings. <laughs> yeah. Very nice. How about you, Jamie? Well, I'm glad you asked. My epic feature of this movie is just the aesthetic of the oh, world. Yeah. It is such a gorgeous movie. I I know Disney's got the big budgets and everything, but like a big budget doesn't always a beautiful movie make. But in this case, the just like dripping with spooky gothic aesthetic, cool twisted trees. Like I'm a real sucker for like spooky trees and like kind of dark wings and cool like blackbirds and tree demons and all that stuff like it just looks so badass and i just was eating it up the whole time as much as like angelina jolie eating the scenery or chewing <laughs> the scenery i was eating up the whole movie and just the way it looked and felt and i am going to give this movie <laughs> I'm like, do I do the wing system? Yeah, 10 out of 10 uh, sets of wings, 20 wings. It just, <laughs> it really, I it, <laughs> I don't like to give a Disney movie this high of ratings, but it's hard not to. It is a really cool movie that I think does a lot of great storytelling, changes the original narrative in a way that I found compelling from beginning to end, tells a complete story with interesting characters and manages to be both. I felt enlightening and heartfelt at the same time, which is a really difficult line to skate. A lot of times I felt like it was very sincere. It didn't have the cynicism of something being just made to cash in on a famous series like they went into this with i think a really good screenwriter and a good intention to tell an interesting story and in my opinion they succeeded in it so 20 wings what can i say really had a great time had a great time watching it for the first time and that's that yeah it was a lot of fun uh talking with you all about it too absolutely yeah delightful. absolutely mm -hmm. and we want to thank our guest once again thank you so much mickey for joining us on this wild ride thank you for having me it's so wonderful to talk about a cherished film with you all 
Well, I'm glad we got to do a good movie because sometimes the movies we do are not 10 out of 10 or 9 out of 10 films. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's good to have some variety. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> We'd like to thank you for tuning in and listening this week as we talked about Maleficent. If you uh, want to know what we're up to and keep up with the satirists, you can follow us on social media at Swords and Satire or join the Swords and Satire Facebook group. And as a bonus, you'll get all the sweet, sweet memes we post every week. Um, if you're able to join us as a patron on Patreon, we would really appreciate it. You know, you can always give us a, a rating on any app that you are listening to us on. If you aren't able to give uh, monetarily, we completely understand and we appreciate your your help in spreading the word about us. But if you are able to, we would greatly appreciate it. And you're, you get some amazing bonus content every month. And again, if you have <laughs> any interactions with supernatural entities uh, or not, and you just want to stay a part of the discussion, the conversation about movies or satire, email us <laughs> at swordsandsatire at gmail.com. Yes. And until next time. Hail, Hail Cry. Cry.